0: Hello, and welcome to
1: another White Horse Media presentation. White Horse Media presents Amazing Discoveries with international speaker and best-selling author Steve Wolberg. Our goal is to continue to produce life-changing and biblically-based presentations. We hope you enjoy this
0: series. At the end of this CD, you'll receive more information on this ministry and how you
1: can obtain some additional resources. In today's program, Steve will examine the mark of the beast. Now, here's Steve. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming tonight. This is the night of nights. In Los Angeles, I grew up in LA, people are fearful about the coming of the big one. As far as an earthquake, well tonight, as far as Bible prophecy, we are going to study the big one. So let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. This is the subject of all subjects. This is a 10 seatbelt night. The title is called the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. Let's begin with prayer. As we always do, let's bow our heads and pray together. Dear Father, dear God, we come together tonight, sincere Christians seeking truth, and we pray in the name of Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit to be here and to help us. Please help me as I lead out tonight as we study this awesome subject. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things, amen. Okay, here we go. The mark of the beast. There are lots and lots of different ideas about this subject of the mark. This is probably, when you study the book of Revelation, this is the biggest end time issue in the entire, entire Bible just about, especially in the book of Revelation. And there's a lot of different ideas on this subject. What is the mark all about? Videos are being made, books are being written, preachers are giving sermons, and tonight what we're gonna do is we're gonna actually do what a lot of people don't do, and that is we're gonna open the good book, the Holy Bible, and we're gonna try to find out what the Word actually says about this subject. The answer may surprise you. I'm just about positive it will surprise you. Let's open up to our first text, Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. In the middle of the verse, notice what it says. Revelation nineteen twenty. he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. Do you see that? Now notice two words here, he deceived them which had received. Now this verse tells us that whatever the mark of the beast is, that when people receive it, they are deceived according to the scripture. Isn't that what the Bible says? In other words, this is gonna be a subtle, tricky deception of the devil. It's not gonna be the most obvious thing in the world. When the government finally enforces the mark of the beast upon the whole world, do you think they're gonna say, okay, folks, this is the mark of the beast. Where would you like it, in your right hand or in your forehead, take your pick? Do you think the government's gonna say that? Obviously not. These words, mark of the beast, these are code words that are given to us as Christians in the Bible, but these are not words that are gonna be used by the government. The mark of the beast is very, very subtle. In fact, it's my conviction that this whole deception is the greatest deception in the history of the world that comes from the devil. And so that should put us all on our toes and we should study this subject out very, very carefully. Amen? Let's do that tonight. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, let's look at verses 6 through 12. This is a very important point that I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Many people don't have any idea about this, but when you really study Revelation and study the mark of the beast, you discover the amazing fact that the three angels' messages found in Revelation 14 verses 6 through 12, these three angels contain the key to understanding and to ultimately avoiding the mark of the beast. If we don't understand the three angels, we cannot understand the topic of the mark. So let's read about this, Revelation 14 verse 6. Verse 6 says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. John saw having the everlasting, and what's that next word? Gospel, and the gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, the whole world, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And we're going to be going through different points like we've done on other nights. We have the first point, Revelation 14 6. The first angel has the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus is the foundation of the three angels' messages. Jesus is the heart, He's the soul of the Bible, and He's the heart and the soul of these messages. So the gospel is first. Now then if you go on to verse 7, the first angel continues and the message says, he says with a loud voice, with a megaphone type of a voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that did what? that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So the first angel says, number one, follow Jesus, believe he died for you, accept the gospel. And then verse seven, among other things, says, worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. So here's a worldwide global call to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people down at the end of time to follow the gospel and to worship the creator. Now keep your finger here and turn to John chapter one. John chapter one. This may amaze you what we're about to look up. John chapter one verse 10. Who specifically in the New Testament really is the creator of heaven and earth? This is a very important question and we're gonna find out a shocking answer in John chapter one verse 10. Notice this passage. John 1 verse 10, the Bible, this is talking about Jesus, and it says, he was in the world. 2,000 years ago, he walked this earth. And the world was, and what's that next word? The Bible says, the world was made by him. Now, who is him? He is Jesus. And this verse tells us that 2,000 years ago, the man that walked this earth was more than just a man. That's exactly what it says. He was in the world and the world, this whole world was actually made, it was formed by him. And the world knew him not. Most people don't know that Jesus Christ is not just our savior, but he's actually the creator of heaven and earth. The whole planet was made by him at the beginning of time. Is that what this verse says? That's exactly what this verse says. So if you look at this picture, What we're reading in our Bibles is trying to tell us that the hands that were ultimately crucified on the cross, those are the same hands that formed this world. Hallelujah, that's great deep truth from the Bible. Now let's go back to Revelation 14 and let's look again at verse verse seven. And we're gonna discover that this whole concept about Jesus being the creator of heaven and earth This has a lot to do with understanding the biblical truth about the mark. Revelation 14 verse 7, at the end of the verse, the Bible says, Worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, who is that? It's God. It's Jesus Christ. According to that verse right there, John 1.10, the world was made by Him, by Jesus. And then verse 7 says here, Worship Him that made. That's a call to worship Christ. Not just as our Savior, but as our Creator. Him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Okay, now, let's go down to verse 9. Verse 9 continues and says, The third angel followed them. There's three angels, and here's the third one. The third angel followed them and said with a loud voice, If any man, and what's that next word? Worship. Now, notice the word worship. If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark. Now we just read at the end of verse seven where it says worship him that made heaven and earth. And that's point number two over there on this tower of truth is to worship the creator. And then that word worship is used in verse nine. And it says, if any man worships the beast and his image. In other words, when you look at the three angels' messages very carefully, what's happening here is there is a line drawn and there is an issue about worship. One group worships Jesus as the creator of heaven and earth. The other group worships the beast and the image and gets the mark, do you see that? Worship is at the heart of this whole issue of the mark of the beast, worshiping the beast or worshiping the creator. Now notice if you go down to verse 10, It's very serious. For those that worship the beast and get the mark, verse 10 says, the same, whoever that person is, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now this is a very, very serious passage. And what it's telling us When verse seven says, worship the creator, when verse nine says, don't worship the beast and don't get the mark, and then it says, if we do get the mark, we will receive the wine of the wrath of God himself. This is telling us that the mark of the beast, whatever it is, is ultimately a sin against God. Do you see that? It's a sin against our creator. That's what this is all about. It's a spiritual issue because it provokes his wrath at the end upon those that get the mark. And it goes on and says in verse 10 that that person will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever, whoever that person is who receives the mark of his name. These are probably the most serious words in all of the Bible. Verse 10 and 11, the most solemn warning in scripture anywhere is about the worship of the beast and the getting of this mark. This subject that we're studying tonight, friends, I tell you, it is so serious. I mean, it's just, it's an awesome thing for me to actually stand here and open the Bible and tell you what I'm gonna tell you tonight. This is a life or death subject, isn't it? Bible says plainly, if people get the mark of the beast, they're lost, right? They're lost forever. Uh, This is a very, very serious subject and we want to study it and understand it, write down exactly what the Word says, right? We can't afford to take any chances when it comes to this subject. Okay, now go down to verse 12. At the end of verse 11, it talks about those that receive the mark of His name. The next verse talks about those that don't get the mark. Verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now this is very significant. At the end of verse 11, it talks about those that get the mark. And then in verse 12, it talks about the saints that don't get the mark, and it says they do two things. They keep the commandments of God, number one, and they also have the faith of Jesus Christ. They follow Jesus, and that point is also on this Tower of Truth. Uh, Point number one, again, we have the gospel of Jesus, the first angel, and then the first angel says, worship the creator, who is Jesus. And then the third angel says, don't worship the beast and don't get that mark. And then at the conclusion of the third angel, it says, keep the commandments and the faith of Jesus Christ. Friends, you are looking at the essential core elements and ingredients of God's final message to the whole world down at the end of time, that's it. And this message of the three angels' messages is telling us how to avoid the mark of the beast. It's telling us, number one, follow Jesus Christ, the gospel. Number two, worship Jesus as the creator of heaven and earth. And number three, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And those that do that, they're the ones that will not get the mark of the beast according to the Bible those that believe in Jesus, who worship Him as Creator, and who keep the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. Those are the key safety ingredients. If we do those things, then we don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. Do you see that? It's right there, very plainly in Scripture. And we'll talk more about this. Okay, let's go on. Let's go back to chapter 14, verse nine. We've got a lot to do tonight. 14, nine. Let's talk about this forehead thing. Verse nine says, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, like a megaphone. If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark. And then what's that next little word? After the word mark, what's there? Okay, some, I heard somebody say on. Who's got a King James Bible? What does that word say? In, right. Doesn't say on the King James Bible. It says the mark is received in his forehead or in his hand, not on. And that's significant. Now, what is this talking about? This whole idea of the forehead and the hand. Does this mean there's gonna come a time when there's gonna be some sort of an implant, some sort of a microchip placed inside the heads of people or inside their hands and that you're gonna go downtown, you know, downtown Fort Worth or Dallas and the government's gonna say, or somebody's gonna say, where do you want the mark? Do you want it in your right hand or in your forehead? Okay, you want it in your forehead? All right, brace your head and we're gonna give you the mark. Is that what this is talking about? Or is the idea of the forehead and the hand talking about something that's that's more than just skin deep? That's a very important question. It's interesting if you go back to verse one of the same chapter, Revelation 14: verse one says, "I looked, John looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, who is Jesus, and with him hundred forty and four thousand, having his Father's name, and where was that written?" in their foreheads. So the same chapter that talks about one group getting the mark in the forehead, the same chapter talks about another group getting the name of God in their foreheads. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that God's gonna take some kind of a super almighty ballpoint pen and reach down from the sky and write his name on the foreheads, on the skin of his people? Or is this talking about something that's more than skin deep? Let's go to chapter 17 of Revelation. Let's take a look at verse five. Revelation 17 verse five talks about this woman. I call her the Scarlet Harlot. We'll talk all about her. This lady's dressed to kill. We wanna avoid her at all costs. Revelation 17 verse five, notice it says, upon her forehead, there's the forehead mentioned again, was a name written, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. So here's this woman and Revelation 18 tells us she deceives the whole world and on her forehead is this mysterious name. Now this is obviously talking about symbolism, right? There's not gonna be any real literal lady riding around on the beast that has some words written on her head. We're reading about some symbolic things here in Revelation. Let's go to chapter 22, and let's see it one more time in Revelation. Chapter 22, let's look at verse four. Now here's another passage, 22, four. The word of God says concerning the saved, they shall see his face, the face of the Lord, and his name shall be where? In their foreheads. Now this doesn't mean that God is gonna write something on their skin. When it talks about the name of God in the Bible, it's referring to his character, what he's like, his attributes of love and truth and justice and mercy. And these attributes are gonna be written in the foreheads representing the minds of his children. So when you read Revelation carefully, the book of Revelation tells us that it's not just the devil's people that get something in their foreheads, but God's people get something in their foreheads. In other words, everybody's gonna get something in their foreheads, everybody. It's either the mark of the beast or it's the name of God. One or the other, but something's gonna be written up here inside of all of us and it's important that we've got the right thing up here, right? Very important. Now let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 18. Deuteronomy 11 verse 18. One of the problems with this whole subject of the mark of the beast is that few people really study it out. They just watch movies and videos. They just read books that speculate, but they don't actually study themselves and see what the Bible really says. Deuteronomy chapter 11, let's look at the 18th verse. This whole idea of the right hand and the forehead is really an Old Testament concept. It's picked up and used in the book of Revelation, but it comes from the Old Testament. It has a root, as most things in Revelation do. In verse 18, here's the root. Therefore, God is, speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. Therefore shall you lay up these my words, God's own words, he says, lay them up in, there's the word in again, inside your heart and in your soul. And then he says, and bind them for a sign upon two places, upon your hand, there's the hand, that they may be as frontlets, where? between your eyes. So here we have in Deuteronomy 11:18, God said, I want my words to be in your hand and also between your eyes. Now, what was God trying to tell his people back there through Moses? Was he telling them that he expected them to take a very fine little pen and write on the skin of their foreheads the whole book of Deuteronomy? Is that what he was saying? If that's what he meant, then those Jews, had to, they would have had to have very, very big faces to get the whole book of Deuteronomy. It's a big book, 34 chapters in between their two eyeballs, right above their nose, below their forehead, in that little spot. So when you think about it, when you study this out from the Bible, instead of just watching videos and movies, you discover that when the Bible talks about the forehead and the hand in Revelation, it talks about the, the same thing in other passages. Now what do you think God meant? When he said, I want my word in your forehead, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about your mind, right, your thoughts. He wants his word inside your head. And when he says, I want my word on your right hand, what do you think he's talking about? Your actions, right. In other words, he wants us to think the word of God and he wants us to live the word of God. As one preacher said, God wants us to walk our talk Walk our talk, not just believe it, but live it. And so the forehead refers to the mind, and the hand refers to the actions. When you study it, it's clear, according to many different passages. Now let's go to Revelation 15, and let's look at verse two. I hope to shed some light on this subject. I'm tired of speculation. I mean, I hear it so much. I hear so many crazy ideas. It just makes my heart break. And I think, let's get into the book. Let's get away from fiction. Revelation 15, let's take a look at verse two. Revelation 15, too is talking about the beast and people that get the victory over the beast. I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast. Praise the Lord, God's gonna have a victorious people. Now when the scripture talks about the beast, it's obviously symbolic, right? The Bible says the beast has seven heads and 10 horns. There's no real seven-headed, ten-horned beast, is there? This is a symbol, as we've studied in our our seminar. This does not mean there's gonna be a time coming when some beast rises out of the sea, and CNN and CBS and ABC and all the major networks, you know, Peter Jennings and Dan Rather, they're all saying, flash, mysterious beast has come out of the sea, he's traveling around the world, he's stamping people on their foreheads and on their hands, so watch out, don't get the mark. See, that's not what's gonna happen. This is a symbol, isn't it? Symbol, symbolic. Now, those of you that have been in the seminar, think about in your mind who this beast is. Remember who the beast is, as we studied about from Bible prophecy and history? Just think about that. Okay, let's keep reading. Scripture says they will get the victory over the beast and over his image and over his what else? Over his mark. Okay, there's the mark. Now, think about it. If the beast is symbolic, which we would all agree it is, right? Everybody would agree with that. Then here's a the big question, what about the mark? If the beast is symbolic, what about the mark? It's gotta be a symbol. Now it doesn't mean it's not real, but it means we have to have some discernment to figure out what this is talking about. Now notice it also says that the mark of the beast is, it says it is his mark, Do you see that? His mark. Now think about this, think in your mind, Who the beast is, okay? If you were here in the seminar, just think, I know who the beast is now. Now realize this. May may light shine into your minds right now. The mark of the beast, whatever it is, is his mark. In other words, it is some mark, some tradition, some something that comes from the biblical beast of Bible prophecy that you now know who it is. It's not coming from a computer, it's coming from the beast of prophecy. The mark of the beast is some tradition, some doctrine, some practice, something that comes from the biblical beast that is against the word of God, that is against the law of God, that is against the worship of Jesus, the creator. It's against the commandments of God and it's something that's very subtle and deceptive that the devil will slip into the foreheads representing the minds and the hands representing the actions of the majority of people at the end of time and they will be lost because they're deceived by the devil and they're sinning against God. That's what we're reading about in our Bibles when you really put the pieces together. Okay, let's keep going. If you go back to Revelation 14 verse nine and verse 10, we have a warning, solemn warning, serious warning. Revelation 14, verse 9, the Bible says, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, megaphone, very clear, very definite, no questions, no doubts, just like Noah. You know, Noah didn't say, there's a flood coming, I think, maybe, might not come, but I've got a pretty good idea. That's not the way Noah preached. Noah was absolutely positive. And this third angel's message has got to be preached by somebody and it's got to be as clear, as definite as anything can possibly be. He says it with a loud voice without any uncertainty at all. And he says, if any man, anybody, whoever it is, worships, there's the issue, worship the beast. And you know who the beast is. And his image, and I'll talk more about that tomorrow. And receive his mark, the mark that comes from that beast in his forehead, representing his mind, or in his hand, representing his actions, the Bible says, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God Almighty himself, of the Creator, because that person has sinned against God. That's what we're reading here. This is very serious, isn't it? This is probably tonight going to be the most serious subject you've you've ever been to in your whole life. That's why I get nervous on this subject. I think, you know, souls are deciding their destinies by this message. Can you imagine why I, as a preacher, get nervous about this? I do a lot of praying before this meeting, believe you me. I pray and pray and pray and I say, oh God, please help me, because as I teach this message from your word, means souls are in the balance right now as we look at this. Would it make sense for Jesus to send a message like this to the whole world? about the beast and the mark and tell the world that if you get that mark, you're lost, it's over. It's over for you, for all eternity. Would it make sense that Jesus, the same Jesus who tells us he loves us, he died for us, he wants to save us, would he also send us this kind of message and then say, if you get the mark, you're lost. I love you, but if you get the mark, you're lost, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Does that make sense? That Jesus would warn us, you'll be lost if you get the mark, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. That wouldn't make any sense at all. God has told us in the Bible, when we study it very, very carefully, we can put the pieces together and we can know what the mark is. And that's what we have to know, or why would God warn us with such a loud voice? Just makes all the sense in the world. And we can know, let's go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter seven, and let's take a look at verse 25. There is a way that we can know for sure what the mark of the beast is without any question or doubt. And we're about to find that. And what you do with this information is really up to you. I've studied it myself and and I've decided what I'm gonna do with this information. And I hope and pray that when you learn it, that you will think and you will act with your hand accordingly. But that's up to you. I hope and pray that we'll all make the right decisions. Daniel chapter seven, verse 25. This is a key text we read about the little horn power, which is the same as the beast. We've studied this. Verse 25 says, "He will speak great words against the Most High. He will wear out the saints of the Most High, and he will think." See that word "think" in your Bibles? This horn will think to change times and laws, and we've read on night four of this seminar, that the little horn in Daniel 7 and the beast of Revelation 13 are talking about the same thing. We all know that, or at least if you were here, we know that. Now now notice that word think. Where do you think anyway? You think in your forehead. So here's a statement about what this little horn is doing right inside of his head. Now, what is he thinking anyway? The text says he is going to think to change to change something, to change times and laws. Now, let me show you, and this is the result of a lot of study that I have done on this subject. When you compare Daniel 7 with Revelation 13, it's very clear it's talking about the same things. There's just no question about it. Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 both talk about a lion, a bear, a leopard, a dragon, ten horns, a mouth, war on the saints. This power overcomes the saints. He rules for three and a half years in Daniel 7 and rules for 42 months in Revelation 13. Both chapters talk about the same thing. They go together like a lock and a key. All scholars know this. However they interpret this, it's very clear we're talking about the same thing. Now when you go down Daniel 7, it talks about all these things that parallel Revelation 13, point by point by point by point. Now when you get to the end of Revelation 13, it talks about a mark in the forehead and in the hand. Now wouldn't you think that if Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 parallel each other right down the line, and then at the bottom of chapter 13 there's a mark, wouldn't you think there'd be something over here at the bottom of Daniel 7 that would also parallel this expression of the mark? Wouldn't you think? I mean everything else parallels right down the line, and there is. And what parallels is the verse that we just read. Daniel 7, 25 says the horn will think, to change times and laws. Revelation 13, 16 says he will cause everyone to receive the mark in the forehead. So we have a parallel right there. And let me illustrate this, that the change on the one side is a parallel to the mark on the other side. And let me illustrate this. Let's just say, and I'm not, getting, I'm not trying to give anybody any ideas tonight, I'm already nervous enough as it is preaching on this subject, but let's just say that somebody out there was so mad at the end of this sermon that when I went out the door, went around the back here to shake people's hands, somebody back there just hauled off. Now again, no ideas, okay? But let's just say somebody hauled off and went wham and hit me right in the eye and changed the surface of my face. No ideas. Now let's just say someone did that though because they were upset with me. They didn't realize I was just trying to do my part and to serve God. And so then let's say tomorrow night if you came to the seminar, when I stood up here to talk to you, what would you see right there? You'd see a big black mark, wouldn't you? That person changed the surface of my face and there was a mark. Change, mark. A change is a mark. Let's say I had a hammer. Here's a plexiglass pulpit up here and let's say I took a hammer up here and I hit it real hard on the side here, just as hard as I could and I knocked off a chip. And Nobody saw me do this, and then I went away. And then let's say the next day you came here, and you looked at that pulpit, and you thought, wow, somebody's been here. Somebody did something to this. And the reason why you'd know that is because my mark was there. I left my mark there. Change is a mark. Has anyone ever come into your life and changed you for the better or for the worse? And they left their mark on your life. Are you with me? If I have my hand up here and then I take my fist and I hit it and I change the surface of my hand, what's there? My mark. A change is a mark. Daniel 7, right down at the bottom, there's a change. Revelation 13, right down, there's a mark. So it makes perfect sense that whatever the mark of the beast is, it's a changing. That's the whole context. Now look more carefully. What does he think in his forehead to change anyway? What does it say? Take a look. Daniel 7.25 says he will think to change. What does he try to change? Times. Times and laws. This is very, very important. You are looking at the truth of God's word up there on that slide. It's very, very clear right in the Bible. Now at this point, I think you should put on all your seatbelts because I'm gonna make the application and pull all this together and just tell you straight what the truth is. Isn't that what you want me to do? Tell you the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? That's what I wanna do, and here we go. Now let me just summarize so far what we have studied. The three angels' messages tell us that if we believe in Jesus, number one, and if we worship the creator of heaven and earth, number two, and then if we keep the commandments, number three, then we won't get the mark, right? We read that in the Bible very, very plainly, a message to the whole world, God's message. Now the chilling fact is that there is only one commandment of the ten that has to do with the Creator of heaven and earth, only one. And the chilling fact is that that's the only commandment of the ten that has to do with the subject of time, times. The Bible says He would think to change times, and laws, and I think you know which commandment that is, right? If you just put the pieces together, there's only one commandment about the Creator. There's only one commandment that talks about time, and which one is that? It's number four, right, the fourth commandment. that says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, about a week and a half ago in this seminar, we studied this subject, and I made you a promise as as a speaker in front of my audience, I said I wasn't going to talk about this subject night after night after night after night. Remember that? How many of you remember I said that? See, a lot of heads and hands raised. Now, haven't I been good about that? I mean, really, I have, haven't I? I haven't even mentioned the Sabbath for a week and a half. But tonight, we've got to talk about it. And the reason is because the whole subject of the Sabbath of Jesus and the worship of the Creator and its change, this has everything to do with the biblical truth about the mark of the beast. So that's why we're studying this. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and let's take a look at verse eight. Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Now notice, this is the fourth commandment of the 10, the big one, big law of God. Verse eight says, what's that first word? Remember. Remember, now think about it, folks, and may the Spirit of God just speak to your heart right now. With what part of your body do you remember? Where do you remember? You remember in your foreheads, don't you? That's the issue. Remember. What does God, the maker of heaven and earth, want us to remember? He says, remember the Sabbath day, that day, that has to do with time, and keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day day is the sabbath of the lord thy god it's god's sabbath not the sabbath of the jews it's never been the sabbath of the jews so here we have on the board here the seventh day is a sabbath now what day did jesus christ rise On the first day of the week, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all say that, and we studied that, and you can look up in any dictionary that Saturday is the seventh day, and Sunday is the first day of the week. Go back to verse 9. Verse 9 says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy, and what's that next word there? Work. Now, with what do you work? You work with your hand, don't you? So think about this. The very fourth commandment itself talks about the forehead, remember, and the hand, your works. Awesome, isn't it? It's right there in that commandment. Now again, we go down and it tells us what day the Sabbath is. And if you go down to verse 11, verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Now notice this. Let it just burn into you. The Lord made heaven and earth. Who did we read in John chapter one verse 10 was in the world and the world was made by him. Who is this? Jesus Christ, right. And so when the fourth commandment says in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Lord that made heaven and earth. And Jesus is the one that wrote the fourth commandment with his own almighty finger. It's his Sabbath. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and he rested, he rested, Jesus rested on the seventh day. And then it says, and the Lord, and that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. He blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed, and what's that in that last little tiny word? He hallowed it. That means that Jesus Christ hallowed and blessed and sanctified one special day, it, the seventh day, the day that he told us to remember and not to work with our hands on that day. Now, there's somebody some power described in Bible prophecy that thinks in its forehead that really it doesn't make any difference. You know, really one day is as good as another day and this power thinks it's okay to change times and laws. Now here's a statement from the Catechism, the Catechism of the Church of Rome and it says here on page 50 of Geierman's Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. Question, what day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why then do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church substituted Sunday for Saturday. They come right out and they say, we changed it. Prophecy predicted it and Rome admits it. They say, we did it. We changed the fourth commandment, the commandment that points to the Creator of heaven and earth. And I'll show you more about what they say. They say some other things very significant about this. Let's go to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. And let's take a look at the words of Jesus. What did Jesus Christ say? What did our Creator in the flesh say? Matthew five, verse 17. First word there, what's the first word? Jesus said, think. He's talking about our foreheads. Jesus said, think not. Don't even think the thought. Don't let the devil tempt you to think something that Jesus doesn't want you to think. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And then Jesus said, for verily I say unto you, which means certainly till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So Jesus said, don't even think it, not even a little jot is gonna be changed. And the seventh day is more than a jot. And if you continue on in verse 19, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore, which is what the third angel talks about, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if you look at the words of Jesus Christ himself, Jesus said, Don't think that thought. Think not. Not one jot. Don't break even one commandment. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And in the final analysis, the final battle between truth and error at the end of time is a battle between the beast, the Antichrist, and Jesus Christ. It's an issue of who is the real Jesus. What does the real Jesus teach? The real Jesus in the Bible says, don't even think that thought, that I've come to change God's law or do away with the Ten Commandments, not one jot. He says, don't even break one of them. That's the real Jesus of the Bible, and when you read the Bible carefully, and we need to do that, it's so important. You read the New Testament, and that includes all the writings of Paul. There's not one passage understood correctly in Scripture that should lead us to think that it's okay to go against the words of Jesus Christ, to break one of God's commandments. If we're interpreting Scripture, that that's okay, we're misinterpreting our Bibles, because that's not the word of the Lord. But the horn comes along, the beast of prophecy, and he thinks it's okay to do that. He thinks he can change God's times and God's law. And the majority of people today, they've accepted this change from Sabbath to Sunday, innocently, honestly, I'm well aware of that. I'm not questioning people's sincerity, and they haven't really thought about it. They haven't really studied it out. But friends, it's time that we start thinking about it. Amen? We need to think about this subject very, very seriously. And really, the bottom line is, it really doesn't make a difference what I think, or what you think, or what your pastor thinks, or what your best friend thinks. You know, you go out and share this message with a lot of people, and you'll get all kinds of ideas. And then someone will say, I think this. And someone else will say, I think that. And you'll get all kinds of comments. But really, the important thing is not what anybody thinks. The most important thing, friends, is what God says. Right? It's what does he say and what did he write with his own finger on two tables of stone. And it's bottom line final analysis, the mark of the beast is a sin against the creator of heaven and earth. It's the mark is a mark against the maker. That's what it is in the mind and in the hand, in the actions. This is really ultimately what the scripture is talking about. Now here's a very shocking statement. This is from the Catholic records of September 1, 1923. Hold on to your seatbelts. It says here, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of the fact. The Church of Rome comes right out, and they say we change the Sabbath into Sunday, and this is a mark that we are the true church. Because who else could do this? I mean, who else could change the very commandment that has to do with the creator of heaven and earth? So they come right out and they say, Sunday is our mark. Solemn, isn't it? Now when you read Revelation, Revelation 13 verse 16, the prophecy predicts that one of these days, this mark is going to be enforced by law all over the world. So that ultimately no man will be able to buy or sell unless he goes along with this mark of Rome's authority. Now let's talk about this. I want to give you a quick history lesson because there's a lot involved in this subject. The enforcement of Sunday. Now, first of all, I want to say, I don't believe that anybody has the mark right now. Nobody's got the mark in their foreheads. Nobody has it in their hands, nobody. It doesn't happen until it is finally enforced by law. Sunday has been enforced by law for a long long time for about 1500 years there have been Sunday laws in this world when you study European history it's full of Sunday laws when you study English history it's full of Sunday laws when you study colonial American history there's blue laws all over the place. I've got a book here written by a lawyer called Dateline Sunday. This book is about three and a half centuries of Sunday law battles in America. Have you heard of blue laws? Why are stores closed on Sunday? Why are they closed on Sunday around the world? I just came back from Pakistan just a few weeks ago, which is a Muslim country. Why are stores closed on Sunday in Pakistan? It's the influence of the Church of Rome all around the world. The power of Rome is in effect. And there have been Sunday laws, English history, American history, and yet what has happened in history is that God has has held it back from being finally and fully enforced by law all around the world. And at that point, it becomes the biblical mark. It hasn't happened yet nationally. Why not? I believe the reason is because not enough people understand the three angels' messages. God is waiting for more people to know the truth, so when the final thing hits, there'll be a lot of people who know what's going on and who can tell the world what this really means. That's what what God is waiting for right now. He's waiting for that. But one of these days, there's gonna be a crisis that's gonna hit, a final crisis all around the world. People are calling it the Great Tribulation, and it's gonna come. And when this Great Tribulation comes, Everybody's going to be thinking planet Earth is falling apart and there's only one solution, back to God, and what's going to happen is, and I'm going to show you some shocking quotes right now, you're not going to hardly believe this, that people are going to push for the enforcement of Sunday around the world as an effort, a misguided effort, to bring America and the world back to God in the midst of a crisis. Now, here's a photograph of Pat Robertson, and I think a lot of things that Pat Robertson stands up for are good things. I want to be understood by that, but here's a statement that Pat Robertson made in his Destiny Editorial Service 1982. He said, quote, it is the duty of the government of its people to thus proclaim a day as Sabbath to be universally observed Sunday as the Lord's Day. Pat Robertson wrote a book called The New World Order, and on page 236 of that book, he says Sunday should be enforced by law. Now, I think Pat is a good man, and I respect a lot of things that he stands up for, but when it comes to this issue, I beg to differ with him. I think he's making a serious mistake, along with many other people. Here's a photograph of John Paul II. Here's a statement from Church and State Magazine, March of 1993. It says, last year, Pope John Paul II stepped up the pressure for a Sunday closing law. The Church of Rome is very much in favor of enforcing Sunday. They've been doing this for a long time. This is the most official document inside the Church of Rome. It's the 1994 Catholic Catechism that has all of their doctrines. It has the Vatican imprimatur on the front of it. And this is what it says on page 528. It says, Christians should seek for recognition of Sundays as legal holidays. Public authority should enforce the keeping of Sunday. So here's the most official document of the Church of Rome, and they say we want Sunday laws. Pat Robertson says Sunday should be enforced to bring America back to God. John Paul II says we want Sunday laws. Catholic documents say we want Sunday laws. I have a friend of mine, his name is Ed Reed, he wrote a book called Sunday's Coming. And this book is filled with documentation about how Sunday will be enforced by law. It looks at history, it looks at Protestants, it looks at the direction of our society, what's happening in the religious world, and friends, the evidence is there. The evidence is there. I'm not making this up. There's a lot of evidence that people are seeking to enforce Sunday observance. If you go into Washington, D.C., the United States Supreme Court building There's a room where the United States Chief Court Justices sit. There's a section where they sit on these different chairs. And up above their heads, there is a panel coming out of the wall, and it has various figures. And I showed you this the other night, that next to one of those figures is the Ten Commandments coming out of the wall. What do you see if you look carefully? You see ten of them, most of them, but the knee of that figure is covering one of the commandments. Which one? The knee is covering the fourth commandment. That is shocking, it's significant, right in the heart of Washington, D.C., and I see this as prophetic, it's prophetic, it's showing us really what the issues are that people are covering, they're hiding their minds from the commandment of Jesus that points to the creator of heaven and earth. This is the issue. It's chilling, isn't it, to look at that, and that's what's gonna happen ultimately when Sunday is enforced by law. Let's go back to Revelation 6, 13. Revelation 13, and let's analyze this a little bit more before we finish our meeting. See why I get nervous about this subject? I think we all, you know, I mean, this is shocking. Revelation 13, verse 16 says he would cause all. Here's when the mark is enforced by law. Verse 17 says eventually that no man will be able to buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now it's amazing, you know, there's all kinds of videos and movies about this passage, but few people really study it carefully. No one eventually will be able to buy or sell when Sunday is enforced by law, unless they have three things. Unless they have the mark, or the name, or the number of his name. Three things. Do you see that? Now do you think this means that when the government finally enforces the mark, that they're going to say to people, which one do you want? Would you like the mark? Would you like the name or would you like the number in your right hand or in your forehead? Obviously, that's not what's gonna happen, folks. We're dealing with deep spiritual issues here. The mark is the mark of Rome's authority of breaking God's law, which is Sunday. That's the mark. Number two, the name of the beast refers to the beast's character. God's people get his name in their foreheads, that they honor Jesus and follow his law, whereas the beast people get the the name of the beast in their forehead, and the beast's character is he thinks it's okay to change God's law. That's the issue. And then it says, or the number of his name. And that number is 666. We studied that. And what, what number is close to 666, but not quite? Seven. 666 is mentioned in Revelation 13 verse 18 and the number 7 is mentioned all over Revelation. 666 is almost 7 but not quite. And it represents man's attempts to play God. God made the world in 6 days and rested on the 7th. That's God's authority. But man wants to do his own thing. And ultimately, that's what's going to happen at the end of time. These are, we're dealing here with deep spiritual issues. Deep spiritual issues. Somebody gave me this the other day to take a look at. This is a copy of an old New Testament. It's from the 1800s. It used to belong to a Presbyterian preacher. And it has a lot of footnotes in it. And this is what I was just very amazed to discover this, that on Revelation 13, verse 16, it talks about here the mark in the right hand. And it says, this means active obedience to the papal power. Presbyterian Bible, 1800s active obedience to the papal power, or in their foreheads, which means outward profession of Rome's doctrines and infallible authority. Wow, this is from a Bible, New Testament, that a Presbyterian preacher used to carry around over a hundred years ago. Now, I, I can't tell you exactly how technology is gonna tie into all this, but I do believe that technology will be involved that when the mark, when sun is enforced by law and people get the mark in their forehead and in their hands, meaning they believe it or they go along with it, there's gonna be those that don't go along with it. They're saying, no way, I'm gonna follow Jesus, my creator. And those who do that, they're gonna stand up and they're gonna stick out like a sore thumb. And somehow the devil is gonna use technology to monitor and control their ability to buy and sell and eventually they're gonna be out of the system. They'll lose their jobs, They won't get an income, and they will not be able to buy or sell unless they go along with the enforcement of the mark, the enforcement of keeping Sunday during a final crisis. And I don't know all the details, but I do know that the real issue is not technology. The devil will use technology to control people's lives at the end, but the real issue is Jesus Christ, our creator, or the beast. That's the real biblical issue, so please don't be deceived. We need to get that and nail it down and know it for sure. Now, I believe there's a lot of sincere people all around this country who are keeping Sunday, and they don't know. But what's going to happen is when the mark is finally enforced by law, there's going to be a lot of light that's going to shine out all around this world. People are going to hear just what you're hearing right now. And when the light comes to people's minds, and they see the issues, and they know what it is then if they choose in their foreheads to continue to think it's okay to change and to break God's law, then they're thinking like the beast and they get the mark in their foreheads. God will read their minds and he'll say, I see the beast's mark right inside their mind. They're thinking just like the beast. And then other people will say, I don't believe this, I don't wanna go along with it, but I've gotta feed my family, and they'll do it with their hands. They'll work and they'll go along with it, they'll do it, and they get the mark in their hands. And ultimately, it's a statement mentally and people's actions that they are going against Jesus Christ. That's the issue. That's the real issue, is Jesus Christ, our creator. The mark of the beast is coming according to the Bible. And when it hits, when, it's, when a crisis hits, it's going to come with lightning speed. And God wants us to be ready for it right now. Amen? Our last text is from Revelation 14. Revelation 14. We have read, we've studied very clearly that the issues are on the one side. In Revelation 14, 7, it says with a loud voice at the end of the verse, worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And then in verse nine, it says, the third angel followed them and said, don't worship the beast in the image and don't get the mark. And then in verse 12, the Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. There's the issues very, very clearly. On the one side, we have the worship of the beast and the receiving of the mark. And on the other side, we have the worship of the creator, the keeping of the commandments and following Jesus. And there's only one commandment about the creator and that's the sabbath that's the sabbath and may god help us all to stand for jesus stand for our creator so we will not get the mark of the beast at the end of time
0: we hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with steve wolberg we feel privileged to be a part of god's commission to share the gospel message with the world You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-428. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support and may God richly bless your day.